This is the last day of our 21 days of prayer, and by no means do I say that isn't okay, now it's time to stop praying. Um, this has been our 21 days of prayer that's been focused on uh, this community coming together and praying on a daily basis, maybe in addition to your normal prayer, or maybe for the first time. And so hopefully that's been great for you guys. I'm going to ask you to continue to pray for this place, uh, continue to pray for provision, for finances, for vision for next year, uh, for God to raise up leaders, but for God to just send people here that need to be here. Uh, we long to build a community where maybe other people have been to other churches or other places and they've not found a place to fit in. Or maybe there's folks out there, in fact, I know there are folks out there that have never been in a church community. And everything that they know about church and about community like that is a picture that's been painted from either bad previous experiences or what they've seen and heard on TV or from other people. And, and we have a lot of love to give here and we want to share it with people. And so that's the goal. So please keep DC and all of that stuff in your prayers. And then in the month of November, we're actually going to enter this season of Thanksgiving. And we did this last year, and it was really, really cool. And so we're going to do it again this year. And so all of the messages will relate in some way to gratitude or Thanksgiving. And we've got some surprises worked in there uh, as well, including the last um, service of the month uh, that we'll spend together where we will actually give you guys the opportunity to share some of the things that God has done in your life this year that you're thankful for. So, so here's a question for you. How's your morning been so far? Good? Okay. Anybody have trouble getting here this morning? Yeah? Any issues trying to get out of the house? Parents? People? Right? That never happens on Sundays, right? Did you have a plan? <laughs> here's how it's going to go, and then did that plan just sort of dissolve? Uh, I'm married to a planner, and that's actually, when we talk about people completing people, that's totally the completion side of her, the planning thing. I've learned to plan from her. Uh, but inevitably, it seems like things don't always go the way that we plan them, do they? And usually it's, it's never her fault, by the way. I want to point that out. It's probably my fault. But um, things don't go as planned. It just, that's just how it seems like this world works. And for probably a lot of you guys, if you're like me, your world revolves around projects. Like uh, whether it might be a project at work or you have a project at home or you're coordinating something or you're drafting something or you're organizing something, whatever it is. It's like a vacation or a party or a dinner, you know, even fun, fun things like that, right, with friends. Like even when you're organizing those kinds of things, there's still usually a plan involved if you want it to be successful. I mean, the same thing with the church service. It may seem like there's just no rhyme or reason and we have no idea what we're doing. But the truth of the matter is there's a plan. We go into Sundays with a plan. Now we always invite God to disrupt that plan and it's always better when he does, right? But nothing just happens in life, I mean, for the most part, except for sometimes bad things. But a plan is kind of essential. If you want to get from point A to point B, uh, you need a plan. You're trying to get there. And so uh, even with the plan, though, if you look at statistics, statistics show that a project, any project, will take more time and in some cases more money, if you've ever built anything, you know that's true, than you expect to complete. And of course, with all those delays come problems. And it's largely because we set our expectations here, but our budget's here, right? Or we set our expectations here, but maybe we don't uh, know how things will unfold. And sometimes it does seem like the universe is working against us when it comes to things like that, doesn't it? Um, some of you might remember that our dishwasher earlier in this year died 
and it decided to spew its contents all over our hardwood floors in our kitchen. And so when that happened, it totally trashed our kitchen floors. Uh, we, con we did all the right things, right? You know, you contact your insurance person and they set it all up. And, and actually we were really surprised, like we we're pleasantly surprised because they responded really quickly and they were there and we immediately had guys there and they were showing us what they could do and what they needed to do and all this stuff. And it was happening. And we thought, okay, this is gonna be great. This will be done in no time, you know, and they're promising us, oh yeah, they're probably two or three weeks, maybe four weeks. And, but they didn't necessarily, they weren't able to plan for all of the unplanned things that could go wrong, like having to refinish the floors twice, or one of the subcontractors backing into one of our cars on the way out of the driveway one day, right? So those things happen, right? And so the project ended up taking several months but it's all fixed now and everybody's happy. Mama's happy, everybody's happy, right? So, um, and I know that you guys, I've talked to some of you. I mean, if you talk to Pastor John and, and Stacy, you know, right? They have a project they're working on that hasn't gone exactly as they planned. You guys have similar experiences, whether it's a new roof or car repairs or fixing up your homes, but not just physical stuff. We also have things that maybe didn't go the way that we planned in our lives, right? Like careers. I thought I was going to be this, and now I'm over here. I got this degree in theology thinking, man, I'm going to really get something done. And I'm working at Starbucks, right, or whatever it is, right? Things don't always go the way that we planned. Um, relationships can be that way. Things don't always work out the way that we expect. And sometimes it seems that nothing goes according to plan, and we've all lived those weeks or months or years, right, where just nothing seems to go right, so why even plan? There's actually a biblical lesson here. And Moses' story, if you remember him, dude with the beard, right? His story is, is one of the best analogies for this. Most of us know Moses' story, and just in case you don't, uh, he's the guy that Prince of Egypt is about, if you've seen that movie. You know, he leads God's people out of Egypt in Pharaoh's uh, clutches. He delivers God's people. And we know from the story that through this series of miraculous, like marvelous things that happen, uh, God frees his people from this oppression, and that's why we celebrate uh, Passover each year as sort of a reminder of that freedom. We celebrate right along with God's people in that. But Moses, when all this happened, if you read the story, you know, and I don't know exactly what he was thinking when they started trucking out of Egypt and once the Red Sea thing had happened and everything, but I imagine in his mind he thought that this trip was going to be fairly short. I think there was an awareness, like, of where they were going, I think he knew, but at the same time, it seems like mistake after mistake happens, and then there's this lack of faithfulness on the part of Moses and on the part of the people that kept all this from happening. And so Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, right, to talk to God, and they're having this conversation. And meanwhile, the people start to freak out because he's been gone for a while. And they're like, oh, we don't know what happened. He led us out here into the desert, and he's gone, and, and uh, I'm really, really freaking out right now, right? And so uh, he might be dead. We don't even know. It's like, hey, I have this great idea. Remember back in Egypt when we lived there, and they had that really cool cow god that everybody would pray to? Let's make him and pray to him, right? Or her, him, I think, full god, right? So, you know, that sounds silly to us, but that was their response. We don't have a god we can see, so let's just make one. So they do that. And so Moses comes down the mountain and he hears like all this partying and revelry and dancing and singing and everything. And if you've seen the Charleston Heston version, it was out of control, okay? 
So he comes down the mountain, and there are the people, and he gets so angry that he has this law that God's given him, and he throws it down, and he breaks it in anger, right? He ends up destroying the law that God had given him. So what should have been a short trip, maybe a matter of days or weeks, into the promised land, ends up being, for most of these people, well, for all of them with the exception of two, uh, a half a lifetime. A half a lifetime. So what should have been a few days is now a half a lifetime of God's people wandering in the wilderness. And when we say wandering, it wasn't like they didn't know where they were going. Because if you'll remember the story, they go right up on the edge of the promised land. And they're there. And there's 40 days where they send out spies, pairs of spies, and they go in to check it all out. And so everybody comes back with reports, right? And all of the reports, with the exception of two guys, Joshua and Caleb, all the reports are unfavorable. The people are huge. There is no way in the world that we're going to be able to beat these guys, man. Right? But of course, Joshua and Caleb are like, oh, we can take them. But they're outvoted, which is the problem with democracy. I'm just kidding. They're outvoted. It was a joke. Calm down. I love America. Okay. It was... The situation where everybody else, all of the naysayers were the loudest voices, and you had the two guys that were saying, we have faith, we can do this. And there they are. So God's like, okay. You know, you know I mean, I just showed you that I can part seas and do all kinds of really cool things, but since you don't have faith, here's what we're going to do. You're going to wander for 40 years. And so it wasn't like they didn't know, you know, where the promised land was. They just weren't allowed to go in there, and so they're trucking all around the wilderness for a long time. And so we read in Exodus 33, verse 1, here's what happened. God says to Moses, depart, go up from here. He's basically saying, okay, we're done with this. Because of this incident with this golden calf, this lack of faith, the people, after everything that they'd seen God do in this moment, God's like, okay, you can go on from here now. Things are not going according to plan. And I would suggest not even just Moses' plan, but God's too, right? His plan was that they would be obedient. His plan was that they would go in and trust him, and they didn't do that. But Moses proceeds to argue with God, and he intercedes for the people. And it's actually one of the things that I love about Moses. Right? He could have just said, okay, God, no matter what you want to do with these people, just please don't kill me, okay? That's probably a lot of us would be that way. But Moses is like, God, listen. He pleads to God's character. He reminds God of his promise. And then he resigns to the fact, and I think this is important for all of us, he resigns to the fact that going forward without God is not an option for them. We pick it up in verse 15. Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Basically, he's saying this. Listen, God, if you don't go with us, how does that make us any different from any of the other people on this planet? If we're your people and you're not with us, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So to fast forward the story, God passes before Moses, and when he does, he declares his mercy, his patience, his love, his faithfulness, and his forgiveness for all who make things right with him. And you'll find that in Exodus 34, around verses 6 or 7. And then finally, God gives Moses new instructions to solve this huge mess that these people have gotten themselves into. And here's what he says in verse 10. 
And God said, Behold, I am making a covenant, which is a promise, a binding promise. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. Now remember, he'd already shown them some pretty cool things, right? Remember that? So now he's saying, I'm going to show you some stuff that you've never seen before. No one has. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And I love that. It is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Notice, not among you, not for you, but an awesome thing that I will do with you. Watch, guys. I promise you that I'm going to do things with you that no one has ever seen before. And I'm not only going to bless you, but I'm going to bless other nations through you. You will be an example. So here in the middle of a mess, right? This is a mess that these guys have gotten themselves into. Here in the middle of this mess, God solves their problem with a promise. And that's one of the really cool things about our God. He does it over and over again. Over and over again in Scripture, God makes promises. But unlike us, unlike people, he keeps them. And God performs marvels as a part of that. And we see this in the events of the life of Jesus as well. And if you've been here, you know we've been a smack dab in chapter 11 of John's gospel where he is talking uh, about the situation Lazarus has died, right? And if you've missed that over the past couple of weeks, you can catch up uh, online with the podcast. But uh, just in a nutshell, here's what's happening. So first off, we need to know that things aren't going, going according to plan because the plan was for Martha and for Mary... Well, and of course, for Lazarus, the plan isn't going the way he thought it would go at all, right? Because Lazarus is dead. That was not part of his plan, I promise you. He thought he was going to get sick, and then everything would be cool. Well, no, sorry, Lazarus, that's not how it went. So Martha sends for Jesus because the plan has been disrupted. So her plan is now, hey, Jesus, just come and fix this. I know you can do it, so just come and fix it. Just solve this problem. My brother is sick. He's ill, right? Verse 3 there in, in uh, John 11. So Jesus states, remember, that oh, everything's going to be fine. This is not a sickness that's going to lead to death. But then Jesus hangs out where he's at for two more days. And in that matter of time, of course, Lazarus dies. So put yourself in that situation for just a second. You know, and I don't know if she got the word that Jesus had said that everything was going to be fine or not in time. Well, I know she didn't get it in time, but I don't know if that ever <laughs> word ever got to her. But after the fact, if it did get to her, the messenger shows up saying, hey, so when you know Jesus said this isn't a sickness that leads to death, it's like, well, that's great because we, we just buried him. When our plans, guys, are shattered and we're in the middle of a crisis in our lives, and we're leaning into God because hopefully that's our first tendency as believers, as people who follow Jesus, we want to lean in okay, God, what are you trying to show me here? What do you want to do with me? How can you solve this thing? And in those moments, he seems to be silent or he doesn't seem to be moving or doing the things maybe that we hope to see or we'd like to see. We talked about that that first week, that that's actually a sign if we're following Jesus of his trust in us, right? That he trusts us enough to grow in those moments or those situations of silence because he wants to develop his peace or his deep abiding shalom in our lives. And then uh, we learned also that in the midst of all of the broken pieces of our lives, and we all have a pile of them, 
that in the midst of all those broken pieces, that it's an opportunity for us to experience the extreme love that God has for us. And that was illustrated in the story when Jesus shows up and his heart is broken, right? Mary and Martha and all of the mourners come. Jesus sees them. Listen, Jesus, we know he has the power. He's done it. He could have healed them from afar. There could have never been this conversation. He wouldn't have had to truck all the way over there the four days. None of that stuff would have had to happen. And Jesus could have completely bypassed that feeling, that emotional feeling that he ends up having, having when his heart is broken because his friends' hearts are broken. He could have bypassed that. But what we learned about God's extreme love for us in that is that even though he could bypass pain and he could bypass mourning, he chooses to walk through it with us. And that is different than any other lowercase g, God, that's out there. We have a God who meets us right in the middle of our suffering and our hurt, and he walks with us through that. So we have this resurrection story that happens with Lazarus, and this revelation of a God who could bypass pain and suffering, but instead walks through it. And both of those messes are made into miracles. Suddenly they become marvels. Problems solved with promises. And here are some of the promises that happen in this story. That all believers will someday be resurrected into eternity. That's a promise. And that Jesus walks with us, guys, to resurrect our lives minute by minute. It's not just this someday resurrection, but it's an everyday, every minute resurrection that he offers us. And in the story of Lazarus, we see that Jesus makes this promise that Lazarus will come through suffering, and it will be to the glory of God. We know that Martha knows who Jesus is and the power he has within him. She declares it. Mary demonstrated her belief in his power. Remember, she's the one that that story is about that will forever be told of what has happened here, right? Scripture says that, where she breaks the vial of expensive perfume, and she anoints him basically for his burial by washing his feet with the perfume in her tears and drying it with her hair. Here's the thing, though. Both Martha and Mary, when they sin for Jesus, they believe that he can make a difference when they sin for him. Right? If they're putting the word out there, if they're calling him to him, the only reason they're doing that is because they believe that he can actually make a difference in what's happening. But their plan probably went something like this. Well, we're going to call him, and Jesus is going to show up, and when he does, he's going to come to Lazarus' bedside. Uh, he'll probably pray over him or anoint him or something, or he might give him a high five. Or he might say, dude, just get up. And then, because, you know, they're friends, right? So that's how friends talk to each other. It's like, dude, just get up. Okay, come on. Here, drink this broth. Come on, get up, buddy. And then he gets up, and everything's fine. Like, here's the plan. It's all cool. Everybody's happy. But that didn't happen. So in the minds of Martha and Mary in this encounter they have with Jesus. It was over. Game over. We're done. Their plan had failed. All hope was lost. But again, Jesus assured people, right? He made a promise that this sickness would not lead to death. And in the end, he is faithful to that promise. And this miracle occurs for the glory of God. 
I'm going to suggest to you today that this happens all the time. This is continually happening all the time. That over and over again, Jesus creates miracles like nothing that we find anywhere in creation. Other than where God himself, of course, has worked in Scripture. Restoring the broken physically and spiritually. And again, that's more proof of who he really is. So like Martha and Mary, I think we as people are often in that place of waiting. We have the promise in hand, right? We, we know what God's promised, that he's faithful, uh, that he loves us, uh, that even when we go through hard things, he's going to be with us, and that, um, you know, on and on. There's, problem, there's promise after promise after promise. So we're waiting for this miracle in the middle of a mess. And I think when we're following him in his spirit, when we're leaning into him like we talked about earlier, that's when we're going to see those. So like the story of the Exodus and this resurrection story of Lazarus, we see God making and keeping promises throughout his word because his very character is faithfulness. Check this out. This is Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? And then there's a handful of other verses down here you can check out as well. 1 Samuel 15, 29, Hebrews 6, 18, and Titus 1, verses 1 and 2. But the point of this verse is this. God can't lie. It's not in his nature. It's an impossibility. He doesn't even, like, trick. Like, he, to me, that's the same thing as lying. You know, we see, we have all these stories of maybe, like, you know, the Greek or Roman gods or whatever, you know, and the whole setup for them is different people playing tricks on different people, and they're just kind of jacking around with mankind. That's not our God. Our God loves us. He created us in his image. And he is faithful. He cannot lie, nor can he break an unconditional promise that he says he will fulfill. So all you have to do is open up that book, right? You open up the Bible and you look, and you look at all those promises. And you will see that every covenant that he has made, he has kept or he's in the process of keeping. Every promise or prophecy that he has given will come true testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness can certainly be found throughout the Bible and of course in the lives of probably people sitting right next to you. There are 277 approximately times in the Bible where God makes covenant with his people. So here's what I want you to go away with today, that God is unwavering in his sufficiency. You know, we've talked about his sufficiency uh, in extreme love with, you know, the moments of pain that we have and the hard things that we go through. But God doesn't change. That's a promise in Scripture, right? So he's unwavering in his love for us. You know, we as our fickle selves as human beings, our love can be very conditional, right? It's like, well... You know, if this person will do this for me, then I will do this for them. But that's not how God works. He loved us immediately, first thing, without any provocation, without being convinced, without saying, oh, you know what? She's pretty good. I think I'm going to love her because she's pretty good. But that guy, no way. No, that's not what he did. For God so loved. I, I, I'm going to go back to it every week because it's true. For God so loved that he gave. The order of that verse is important, guys. 
when he hands Jesus to us. And he says, here he is. He's for you. He's to rescue you. He's to save you. He's to bring you into eternity with me for God so loved that he gave. So God is faithful even though we're fickle. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So in every instance of every promise that God has ever made, he's kept it and will continue to do so. And that's something that we can hold on to, guys. When you're in those moments where you're doubting or you're struggling or your faith is being shaken, you can hold on to that promise that he will hold you and that no matter what happens, he's with you in the midst of that. But what can be even more encouraging is how the sufficiency of our God comes through every time. He works in the silence. We've talked about that. He develops trust and peace in our lives, even though we don't deserve it sometimes, right? And his love is extreme, not only in his generosity of giving it to us before we knew him, as we just talked about, but also in experiencing that pain and the burden uh, of what we walk through. But even more important, perhaps, I'm going to suggest than those two things, the efficiency of God, we find it in his mercy to keep his promises even when we blow it. To keep his promises even when we miss the mark in living according to his plan. To keep his promises even when we end up derailing our own plans, right? Because that's me. I'm on the short attention span train an awful lot these days. What? A swirl, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I got to work really hard on this. Oh, look. Guys, God will turn our mess. In fact, he doesn't just turn it. He steps into our mess. And he turns it into this miracle to reveal his glory to others. Right? That's always the point. He's always going to be glorified in anything that he does. It was the point in the story in Exodus. It was the point in the story of Lazarus. It's the point in the life of Jesus. It's the point in our lives, right? That he's going to be revealed like as glorious through whatever he does if we will allow him to be. So I'd suggest this. No matter who you are, no matter why you're here today, it's no accident that you're here. It's not. And as a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that you're called. What does that word mean? I've heard that word before. I've never really felt called. I didn't receive someone saying, Hearken you, you're a servant of God now, right? I've never heard that. What does that mean? Like, what does it look like? Well, when you're called, what that simply means is that you are a part of a greater plan that God has for your life. When you're called, it means God has something for you to do. When you're called, it means that he, you're not only a part of his family, but you're a part of that whole loving other people thing now too and your brothers and sisters that surround you the follower of Jesus you're called Romans chapter 11 verse 29 for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable that means they cannot be taken away they cannot be removed they are forever for just as you were at one time disobedient to God but now have received mercy because of their disobedience so they too meaning the rest of the world so they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience 
that he may have mercy on all. Okay, well, what, you're like, what does that mean? That's weird. Here's the nutshell version. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. No one can claim to be righteous outside of God. In other words, we're a mess, guys. Every one of us. Every one of us. From the highest to the lowest. There's no power. There's monetary thing. Nothing, right? Nothing. There's no separation there. Every single human being. We're all a mess when it comes to that. But in this miracle of Jesus, the miracle and the mess is this, that God solved our problem with the promise of his son. He solved it. That's kind of a big deal, and we've gotten really used to it. But it's a big deal. God solved the problem with the promise of his son. And so now what he does, because he's a good, good father, is he extends this love and this mercy to each and every one of us as this free gift. He's like, here you go. All you have to do is take it, right? So like, it's Christmas, and let's say, you know, hey, I've got this wonderful gift for you. You know, it's this deluxe edition Ozarka water bottle here. Um, it's 100% natural spring water as opposed to the other ones with alkaline in them. And so I'm going to offer this as a gift to you, Helen. There you go. You're welcome. And so, see, Helen could have said no. She could have not taken that gift. And I don't even think anyone's even drunk out of that one, so you're good. But That's the thing with the gift, guys. You've got to receive it. You've got to open the package. You've got to try on that gift, that love and that mercy. And let me tell you, that is the best feeling sweater that you will ever put on, the love and mercy sweater. Somebody needs to make one of those. That would be the coolest thing. We just have to receive the gift, guys. And there are a lot of us walking around right now that are not opening it. We can be so hard on ourselves. We just have to receive the gift of love and mercy. And in every case we talked about, right, Moses and the people of Israel, where plan after plan goes wrong because of disobedience, or Martha, Mary, and Lazarus who thought all hope was lost, or you and I in the middle of the broken dreams and maybe sometimes the worst of life. And I've walked through some of that with some of you guys. You just have to keep remembering that God's unwavering in his sufficiency. His promise solves our problem. He's the miracle in the middle of the mess. And here's the thing. Have you thought about this? He's so generous that his faithfulness becomes our faithfulness. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. And it's all for the purpose, always for the purpose of his glory. So would you guys bow your hearts with me real quick? I just want to ask you a couple questions. And, you know, you don't have to raise your hands or anything like that. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to consider these. The first question is this. What is not going as planned in your life right now? Think about that one for just a second. Is it your job? Your marriage? Your kids? Your relationships? Maybe it's your health. 
Is it your school? Your church? Or maybe you just ended up someplace that you never thought you'd be. What's not going as planned in your life right now? And once you have that, the second question is this. How do you think God might use the thing that feels out of control to show how marvelous he is? What mess do you need God to be in the middle of right now? What's the biggest problem that could use a promise of God right now? For just a minute, I'm going to take a little bit of time and let you guys pray right where you're at about those things. Silently, or if you want to pray out loud, that's fine too, but just take a moment to pray about that thing. Whatever it is that that mess that you need God to step into the middle of and the problem that could use a promise. saying, God, I trust you with this. God, I believe your promise of faithfulness. Or God, I need you to be the miracle in this mess. Please help me with and whatever it is you're dealing with. Just make that prayer real between you and God right now. Name the problems or the broken plans that you need a miracle Jesus as closely as we can. 
And then the second thing, God, we just pray that you would lead us and that you would strengthen us in the midst of the things that we face. That you bring people alongside us, God, that you would work marvels and miracles and that you would blow us away because of your faithfulness and we, as we see that in our lives. But not so that we could be glorified, God, or that we could be comfortable or have it easy. But that all these things would be a testimony to your faithfulness and your greatness and that it would just shine out of our lives, God, as you step into those situations. So for my brothers and sisters that bring these things before you. I just pray that you'd show up, that you'd answer, that you would amaze us. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Before you guys go, one more thing. I just wanted to say that I believe that sometimes when we're going through the hard stuff of life, that God is sometimes just waiting for us to pay attention. You know, we see that in the story of the people of Israel, how when they would stray, things would happen that would draw them back closer to God. And I think he can use, in fact, I think he, I know he uses anything. But sometimes I think he just wants us to pay attention in the sense of resting in his sufficiency so that he can be the one to take all that broken stuff and put it back together to make something beautiful, right? And I think when he recreates something, it's like, it's, it's really amazing. And you might still see all of the scars and the broken things, but, you know, scars are just signs of healing, right? So his plans always look way better on the other side than anything we could have imagined or dreamed. This last scripture I want to leave with you guys with. It's Hebrews 10, 23. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I love you guys. Have a great week. If you need prayer for something specifically, we will be here for you. So. <laughs>